everybody. Welcome to Stubbly Towards Adulthood, our look back at pop culture of our childhood, our, our uh, teenage college years, that kind of time. Um, I am doing this after getting no sleep, so hello. <laughs> hello, coffee. How are you doing? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know why I couldn't sleep for shit last night. But, um, yeah, basically, he's going to have to carry me through this episode. That's Tony on the other side. I'm Michael. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um... So this episode, this is when I really, really started listening to a lot of music, like just starting to select my own stuff, nothing really, you know, from my friends or from my parents, where I just started like diving off into other areas. And, you know, the BMG became my best friend because it was like, oh, it's well for a buck. And then I can choose stuff that maybe I only know one song from or you know, this band is recommended because you like this band, you know, that kind of stuff. Even the artwork sometimes would just capture my attention. Right, yeah. Uh, this is when, in my area, they started having a lot of, like, used CD places, so you could, I could buy them for much cheaper, like, a whole album, like, you know, you know, which is, it's just kind of cool if, um, if uh, they have something I'm into. However, if I try to sell it back, and it's not crazy popular, I get nothing for it. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, it's weird how that works. Yeah, there's always a place across campus, uh, is what I've noticed, is that, like, oh, you go over there, and they have always, like, these bins of comics and movies and CDs, and they're profitable because they're after, you know, teenagers, you know, students that are desperate for money for their books or just for food, so they'll, they'll you know, get it for you for a buck, which seems like a lot now, right? It's weird that we bitched about the prices we got back then, but now nobody gives you a shit for any of that. Yeah, no, Totally. Like, I remember, like, um, I went to sell a CD, and it was like, you know, cause, first of all, this guy wouldn't even buy him unless he was relatively popular. So I could only sell him, like, U2 and stuff like that. He was no, he was not into, like, the weird indie alt bands that I was listening to. He just he turned them all down. Huh. So, you know, if I, so he's like, oh, I would buy this one, but I already have one. I'm like, yeah, it's just one. You only have one. You sell one at a time. You can't have, like, more than one. <laughs> but I guess he just didn't want to have a backlog. He wanted to, you know, and of course, that the business didn't last much longer after that point anyway. You know, yeah, well, it's like all the major companies started blowing up in the 90s. We had OnQ, which I think was a spinoff from something else. I don't know if you guys had OnQ where you lived, but that wiped out the local, you know, like, not really pawn shop, but used store for media. Yeah. Um, no, that, that didn't come around our way. We just had, like, independent, like, uh, you know, used CD and DVD shops. Gotcha. Did I go to any concerts in 96? Oh, geez. That's a weird year for me. Um, I did, actually, because I did a semester abroad. And um, when I was in England, I saw uh, the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Okay. And, and Beck. That, uh, Beck uh, played the small little venue. That's when he was huge. You know, he had Odelay was out. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, doing a whole international tour. And, uh, yeah, it was, that, was, that was an amazing concert. It was like, you know, relatively small venue. Like, he won't, he won't do shows that small now. But no, no, no. It's pretty cool. The, uh, the, I went to Lollapalooza this year, and um, I just it's so funny thinking about because we discussed in the last episode how much Lollapalooza just changed over a three-year or four-year period of time. You know, this is the year that everybody said Lollapalooza sold out. The investors basically pushed Perry Farrell aside and said, look, you're, you're, you're booking too many off-the-charts you know, bands so we're going to take over it really wasn't that different it was just a couple headliners that were bigger than normal i mean i had screaming yeah. trees i had this weird band this guy in a silver suit and silver hair and uh, screaming in a microphone so that was weird 
uh, samurai warriors that were flying around. Um, then it was the Screaming Trees, uh, the Ramones, Waylon Jennings of all people, uh, Soundgarden, wow. and Metallica. Yeah, see, Metallica, I just I don't think it was the right kind of band. No. For that, for that band. You know, they're way, I mean, very mainstream, even though they're not like pop, they're like, you know, considered metal. It's not really like an alt, well, blues kind of vibe, you know. Well, this is when they tried changing their sounds. Their look. Remember in '96, they cut off their hair, and everybody said they sold out, and their sound changes more layered. Public outrage because they yeah. cut their hair. Yeah. Oh my God, you guys, you're not who you used to be. Yeah, actually, they are. They're just hair is shorter. You stupid morons. The hashers out there were really pissed. Yeah, you know, one thing you got to know about as you get older, you know, your hair gets thinner and more brittle, so it's yeah. not really. It's, it's easier to have it shorter, like whereas when you're younger, it's like you know. Well, that and then. I remember they were doing an interview and said, uh, their producer said, look, you guys can only play so fast. You're getting older. There's always going to be someone who can play faster than you. You guys need to change up your sound to make it more intricate and layered. And that's what they did. True. I mean, um, but I mean, like, you know, just just playing quickly is not really, not, you know, maybe I'm talking out of turn here. I don't really think that that's that, you know, great of an art form is to play beautifully fast. You know, you have to have some kind of substance. Yeah. Uh, you know, that has like a good arrangement. There's, you know, there's, yeah, there's always going to be somebody who's going to have lightning fast fingers, but they can't compose a good song. Who gives a shit? You know? Yeah, and look, he added like another decade to their career because you look at the other thrash bands, they never broke out of the mold. Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer, they never had anything mainstream. They never found a new audience. The the alternative scene completely ignored those three. Yeah, you have to be able to evolve as an artist. You can't, you can't be like. Can't be like a, a one-trick pony. I mean, I, even you can still stay within your genre, but I mean, your style has to evolve. It's right. Just, it's just natural. Because as, as humans, it's, everybody it's, looks fondly it's, back it's, on the Ramones, but if you look, the Ramones were not selling after like 1982. I mean, the the last 15 years of their career were just like their core audience, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And they. they I mean, they were kind of like. Uh, and they they started to get kind of delve into like a pop punk kind of sound. Not as um, rough around the edges as they were, like 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 you know the CB, CBGB days in the seventies. Right. They definitely had a, a, a little more of a polished kind of. I, I mean, like you know, I want to be sedated. I'm not sure if they were trying to be radio friendly, but you know, definitely, you know, it was definitely more radio friendly than than, than their early stuff. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were always more pop oriented anyway. Um, and yeah, this was their final tour, if I remember correctly. I think Joey went on one album of his own after this, and that was it. And then Soundgarden broke up after this. Screaming Trees broke up. It was just a weird concert because you look back and go, "Oh, this is like the end of an era for all of those guys." Yeah, and why, especially with Lollapalooza. I mean, I went the year before '95, but like um, they originally started out doing almost having like a side show kind of. Like they did because Ben Folds Five played opposite Metallica, and, and there's the, this part of me that regrets not going to go see that. Yeah, no, yeah, because it was it was kind of spectacle. It was, it was like it was music, but then they would have like um, kind of like performers, like people doing like the uh, what's they call where like you um, kind of the body modification stuff. Oh, like that's a, what you mean by sideshow. I'm sorry, I thought you meant yeah, the off stage. You know, there's always that well, secondary no, stage. Well, they also had that too. I mean, yeah, it's, sorry, they also had like yeah, they had they had the, uh, the main stage, and then they had like the, uh, the B stage. You know, gotcha. Like yeah, I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah, so yeah, they ditched that 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 year. There wasn't they didn't have any of that stuff except for the martial arts guys in the middle of the whole thing as like kind of a intermission. Right. And I also went and saw at a smaller venue, um, 
I went and saw uh, Bloodhound Gang and The Urge, and this is the second time I had seen The Urge, and, and they're a forgotten band, but they were pretty good, but they're real aggressive. Yeah, I'm trying, like, I always get The Urge confused with Urge Overkill, yeah. you know? I know they're completely different. But. They were part of the big ska revival of 95, 96. Like, 96 is the year that swing and ska really broke through the mainstream. And, you know, we had, like, Real Big Fish and The Urge, I think, two years later. We had Mighty Mighty Bostones. Um, oh, damn, I can't think of it. I think it's, is it No Effects, whatever they go. My town, my street, give me peace and love, carry me. I guess, something like that. And, like, we had No Doubt. And Sublime and stuff like that on the ska scene. Then over on the swing, we had Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Cherry Poppin' Daddies, uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra, Squirrelnet Zippers, stuff like that. It was really eclectic time in alternative music. Yeah, it was like the heyday of like uh, having like horns, like a, like like a horn section to yeah. the band, which like like really wasn't, which is kind of really hasn't been in vogue since the early '80s, and just kind of like uh, came back in a big way. Well, it's funny is if you look, a lot of those ska bands, they changed to just punk or even went further, like No Doubt completely became a pop band because it's too expensive to have horns. I mean, even Aquabats, there's like 12 people in that band and they're not that well known. So they had to ditch half of those people, which kind of sucks. Now, swing gears towards a different audience. Those people will go to casinos. They'll fill auditoriums, you know, and so older people will go. So most of those bands are still together. Yeah, it's like it's true. Like you, I, you kind of like. I mean, there's now there's some. You see uh, occasionally you'll, you'll see some some horn players in some modern bands. But yeah, if you're like if you're in the horn section, you're definitely not getting paid as much as as some of the the, the main the main main players. Uh-huh. Unless that unless that is a main component of your band. Uh, a lot of times, like uh, you know, a band will have a horn section for a little bit, and if they're not if they're not like uh, they don't have like main writing credit, they're not getting like a royalty check or mass cap. So you know they're they're definitely getting like low low pay on this on the uh, on the spectrum. So it kind of it almost makes sense for both parties to do away with the horn section for the horn players themselves. They can maybe get more work as like session musicians, you know, right, or a jazz band thing. or something. Right. The uh, is this the year that electro started to blow up? What year is it the prodigy bro- blew up? Ninety seven. Yeah, I was, I, I was about around that time. Okay, so we'll save that for I next was, episode. <laughs> Well, when I was in England in '96, techno was huge. You know what I mean? So, uh-huh. um, yeah, the chemi- yeah, the Chemical Brothers, Prodigy was was in full full swing back then. It was all about the, um, it, I mean, I mean, raves. I guess you, I guess still a holdover from the rave scene, but it's really like the kind of that big beat kind of techno. Like yeah. where you have like, uh, you know, Fat Boy Slim is kind of like starting out, and uh, Chemical Brothers. Uh, what's the one? Well, Moby, Goldie, of course, over in America. America. He was like the only guy carrying yeah. it in America for a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And that's yeah. Just starting. Just starting to take root where you're seeing like an electro, uh, you know, electro band or like a, uh, a DJ as almost like rock hit, hit achieving rock star status. You know. Yeah. Um, other things in music. Uh, this is the year that the Fugees had like their one big album. Did they only have one album? Because I feel like after this one, they they went in their different directions. Not hundred percent sure to be honest. I remember, the, I remember. I think they may have had one. I'm not, I don't know if one was an EP and one was a full LP. Oh, okay. I think I remember hearing a song or two before like the massive blow up, but I could, I could be missing. It, it's funny though. This is the era where there was a lot of cover songs, but the bands were usually one-hit wonders. And Fuji's, 
I, I honestly couldn't tell you another hit that they had, but I knew that they were extremely influential. And when they went off in a different direction, man, I don't know if there was another highly praised group of people that, you know, usually when they split off, it, it waters down the quality. But I remember for years yeah. after everybody was talking about, like, you know, Lauren Hill and, and Praz and, uh, uh, oh, shit. What's that? White Club Sean. Sean, yeah, right. How did I know that? I even own a few of his albums. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I mean, like, yeah, they, they were definitely, um, yeah, like, like them splitting, them splitting up didn't, definitely didn't weaken the product for sure. And sometimes the bands are greater than some of the parts, sometimes the opposite. But that, I, I, that, that's a case where independently they're definitely, uh, you know, stronger than they were as a whole. But then, but then again, like, they're, you know, it's too bad they couldn't re-collaborate for like, uh, for uh, you know, for for another project. You know, after that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I only ever hear about Wyclef. I don't know what happened to the other two. I want to say Praz is in jail. I'm not 100 percent sure. Right? Whoa. Um, that's what I heard. I'm not. I'm not saying that based on because I want him to be, or but I think I heard that somewhere. Um, Lauren Hill was never able to like uh, you know, recapture the. Uh, Smash success that she had on her one solo album. Uh-huh. Uh, and then she's infamous for like showing up late, almost like kind of like the uh, an Axl Rose effect, uh, showing up late, leaving early, or just you know. Yeah, really, she wasn't really... established enough where people would tolerate that shit. Yeah, and what she's doing it as of today, so she still has, she's still like you know pulling off her, her diva status and yeah. her, like, her star is you know you know greatly diminished definitely yeah i was gonna say that's that that kind of behavior you pull at this stage in your career yeah that's exactly you know this is the point where you kind of you kind of be thankful you treat every every fan every last fan that you still have yeah uh buster rhymes debut year um not really any big hits off this one but it was the next album that really blew up uh, uh, extinction level event, but it's just kind of funny how I didn't even know that he. I, I somehow I forgot that he was part of the leaders of the leaders of the new school, and when he came out, I'm yeah. like, "Who is this dude? He's so different than everybody else." <laughs> yeah, like I remember when he was in the new school, like like liking him, but like there's some people who really like liked him more than anybody else. And I just thought like, oh, it's just another component of the band. Yeah, he's got his own style, but I didn't like favor him over like Charlie Brown or any of the other, you know, guys. And then when he came out, I guess people were just saying how how much more talented people are murmuring about how much more talented talent he was versus the other members of the, of the group. And uh, yeah, I, I guess so because no, nobody else is able to capitalize. Yeah, well, no, uh, I don't know, man, because I went back and listened to the albums, and ninety percent of it is yo 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 yo, yeah yeah. It's like okay, yeah, well, huh? that's kind of symptomatic of the of the time, I guess. Yeah. You know, those, make him say, uh, uh. <laughs> A lot of filler, I feel like, was going on in hip-hop at that time. That's why it's an era that I don't look fondly back on. It's like the 80s, and then skip, skip, skip. Uh, well, no, no, I guess it probably dies around 93, 94. And then skip, skip, skip um, to, like, you know, 2000 with Jurassic 5. Yeah, like, there, like I, st- I was still digging rap at this time, but far less than I, w- I was years previous. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't, for whatever reason, it wasn't speaking to me anymore. But You know what I mean? It was just like... Uh, you know, I I would just I, I'm not I'm not a I'm not like yo man check me out man I'm all about this and I'm all about that you know that wasn't that wasn't who I was at that time you uh-huh. know so like alt alt music uh you know I still that's what yeah I was really digging into that and um 
I hadn't discovered the band at the time. I mean, I knew who they were, but whenever someone asked me, what concert would you love to go to of a band that's no longer around? And it's always Oingo Boingo. And in 96, they did an epic three and a half hour finale concert, which oddly, they don't even play their big hit. They do not play Weird Science. They play every single song from every single album. It's one of the most exhausting uh, concerts I've ever seen in my life, and it's worth every moment. But if you're not an Oingo Boingo fan, it's probably self-indulgent. The only other song of theirs I know is like it's it's a dead man's party. I yeah, well, Weird Science was a big hit. That was like yeah, that was the one. That's how I first became aware of them. Yeah. Besides, it's a dead man's party. I don't know of any any of their other songs. Yeah, it's like, it's just like this big dark carnival. Like everything about it is so macabre, and it paints a movie, and it's a very particular audience that loves them. But, you know, this is a time when Danny Elfman was doing so many scores that he was just overwhelmed. He had no time for the band. They hadn't been together in years. And apparently he didn't reveal it to people. is that he was losing his hearing, so he couldn't perform in concerts anymore. That, that makes sense. That's happened with a lot of people at that time. You know, like uh, you know, Pete Townsend from The Who. It's like full-blown tinnitus at that point for yeah. years of, like, you know, loud music and whatnot. Just if that's your thing and you lose it, that's got to be hell. It's like trying to be a, an artist and you, you're blind. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you, you like, like like they'll sing is, oh, he, oh, he has an ear for music. You know, well, what happens when you're hearing? It go, goes away. You know, yeah. that's the way you play. For sure. The um, debut of Marilyn Manson. Who knew? I was just like, I just remember, I'm not sure if it was a debut, but it's when he broke out. And another one of those guys that had a cover of a known song and, uh, hit it big, and then somehow parlayed that for the next five or six years. See, see, even back then, man, I always hated cheap theatrics. Man. I'm not saying that necessarily his like stage presence was, was you know, a, a cheap theatrical performance, but I, I didn't like that gimmick, you know what I mean? Because I can't, I, most of the time I'm not watching any videos, I'm listening to it. So yeah. I can't hear the shenanigans you're doing on stage. I don't care what makeup or costume you have. You know? I, can't, I can't hear that. So, and they, you know, and I've heard of them. I was like, I'm not, you know, the music I'm not hearing anything special. You know what I mean? I'm not hearing anything. I guess it's maybe, you know, it's it's like like that dark kind of hard rock, I suppose. But uh, I don't know. It, it really wasn't uh, really wasn't impressing me at the time. Not that it impresses me now. But like if that's you know, same same goes with like Kiss and Alice Cooper. You know, it's not really you know. I'm kind of okay with it, but Marilyn Manson to me felt like a cheap uh, Alice Cooper. For sure, yeah. I mean, like, like, I want to say, like, haven't we, have we already seen this show before? I mean, like, is this, you know, I mean, I guess people don't remember it. Maybe, maybe a little too young, you yeah. know, but it's like. Well, I'm sure he grew up on that stuff and was influenced by it. So, but I just remember, like, his career kind of fell apart when uh, Columbine happened. And people were just like, oh, I'll get rid of all this stuff. And it seemed like his career really, like, slowed down. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, people are, like, blaming his influence you know, their listening choices, like his influence on them as like you know, holding it against him, like 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 he was from promoting school shootings or something. Yeah. The uh ninety six is also the debut of Fountains of Wayne, a band that I have a lot of love for, mostly known as a one hit wonder, but they weren't. Um that's the only song that hit the mainstream top forty. You know, they had Radiation mm-hmm. Vibe, um uh Let's Go to the Laser Show, you know, like they they had three or four like alternative hits. And yeah, uh, they, they kind of, I almost feel like Stacy's mom is what killed them. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's like it, it brings them to prominence, but then you kind of go, like, same way with, like, um, uh, Not a Surf. 
like that popular song. Mm -hmm. They've had albums and relatively decent uh, songs uh, since then. But it's like that was a huge hit, and then they kind of like you know they kind of deflated since then, and people even still talk about it. Yeah, same thing with Nerf Herder with Van Halen. You know, that was their one hit. But the listener albums are a lot of fun. But no one listen, no one knows who they are outside of their cult audience. Yeah, sometimes that can, that can like like a, a pop song when you're so known for that can kind of break a band. Like, yeah. Because like, like for the longest time, I didn't want to like not a surf because I didn't like that popular song. I thought they were corny. But I've heard a lot of songs since. I'm like, oh, I really like this song. This is actually a, a legit song. It's too bad that they're only known for that one song. Where they, I'd rather them be known for this song, you know, which is mm-hmm. you know. Head, head and shoulders, you know, above the, the product they put out last. Yeah, but all those bands are still together. Fonz and Wayne, they haven't been together. They have, they're not technically broken up as far as I know, but they haven't been together like in a decade. And they went off and wrote like, you know, one of the guys wrote songs for uh, like the Monkees, their their album from a couple years ago and stuff like that. So I don't know if they're done, um, but they were always a really fun, they, they sound very pop, but they're also talking about stuff that no one else is talking about. It's just kind of off the wall uh, stuff. A little bit like, um, uh, they might be giants, just not as twee. Yeah, like or like they're naked ladies, like yeah. ba- ba- bands like that. So they're fun and pop. They're not like it's not like dumb bubblegum music. Right, not repetitive. Um, the last thing I want to mention is uh, Weird Al had a huge comeback with Amish Paradise, and uh, the first backwards video I had ever seen, which he kind of became known for. I think uh, some bands like hired him to do backwards videos. Huh. I, I, you know, I, 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 I barely recall that video. I remember him dressed up as Am, an Amish guy yeah. and like tur- turning butter. But that's about, you know, and it was like spoofing like, um, you know, the, the Coolio video and right, right. which I, I remember, th- I barely remember that. <laughs> I mean, I remember that even less. The, uh, we went, bought this the day it was released and it was also like, if I remember correctly, it was like some comet was going to go over where we lived. But you couldn't see it in the city, so we drove out to the middle of nowhere listening to this Weird Al album. And uh, whenever he does a polka remix, um, you know, it's, if I don't know if you listen to Weird Al at all, but he always takes like 20 popular songs at that time and then does a polka version of them really fast, like it's a medley. And we're listening to it, and the guy I'm driving with all of a sudden starts driving faster and faster, and he's bouncing up and down in the seat to the beat of polka. And I'm like, dude, slow down. Dude, slow down. No, seriously, slow down. And all of a sudden, we get to the end of the road. We go flying off the road into a guy's cornfield. And to this day, my fucking lower back is killing me because of the impact. Man, we had to have that thing towed. We had to have it like, hooked to a backhoe and brought back into town. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. yeah man, that's, that's, that's distracted driving for you right yeah, there. Yeah, man, and I blame Weird Al. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, that that's it for music in '96. In movies, Independence Day, Twister, uh, Mission Impossible, one huge fucking summer in '96. Like those are all huge event movies. Yeah, these are these are these are the blockbusters, blockbuster of movies for sure. Yeah, I've only revisited Mission Impossible, which still holds up. Actually, better. I have more patience now. It's it's a lot better than I thought it was in '96. I was an adrenaline junkie and. I was like, come on, what's with all the, you know, mystery stuff, espionage, which is true to the series. And I, I just remember, like, Twister Independence Day, like, oh, those movies are so rad. And I watch them now, I'm like, they're not that good. Not really. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Like, I had no interest in them at the time. Like, I've seen them since. Uh, but, like, at the time, I was like, for whatever reason, eh, you know, which I don't know why, because I, I like sci-fi movies. I like alien invasion movies. Um, I, I like when I go to a movie theater, I want to see something that I can't recreate from home. Even I want to see something that's 
crazy special effects. Yeah, I think it's because they have no voice. They're just generic pop culture entertainment. Yeah. I remember the one movie I saw in 96 that blew me away, and it's one of the only movies that I can rewatch over and over again and not get tired of, um, is Train Spotting. I saw that uh, I saw that when I was doing my semester abroad uh, in London. Yeah. Because um, I don't even know if it, was where, you know, if it was playing back where I lived. I remember seeing it with my roommate. It took forever. I remember that they kept teasing it in limited release for months, it felt like. And then I think at the end of summer is when they finally released it wide. Wider, I would say, probably a thousand screens. Well, I mean, from what I've been told, because I mean, I was in England at the time, but like back home, you know, I didn't, my town wasn't, they didn't have any limited release movies in my town. You'd have to go into the city of Philadelphia, go to like the Ritz. See any of those like limited release or art, yeah, quote unquote art house art house films, you know? So yeah, I, I would have I'd have no way to see it until it came on video, you know? Yeah, awesome. we had to drive I think for an hour and a half through shitty traffic in order to get to see Mystery Science Theater three thousand the movie, which is only playing in one theater on the ass end of you know the exact opposite end of our town. Well, it's, it's we were in Huntington and we had to drive a half hour to Fort Wayne. The Fort Wayne's huge. We had to go all the way to the very far end, the the east end, which was close to New Haven. So by the time we got there, not counting for how bad traffic was, and my friends are always shitty late, we ended up getting there like five minutes into the the showing. He goes, well, we didn't start the movie, so we can't we can't start it now. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, we have everything perfectly timed. And I go, it's only been five minutes. And he goes, yeah, we have to have it yeah. perfect on time. And since someone showed up, we didn't start the movie. I'm like, son of a bitch. So we had to sit around and wait and pay for the evening prices. And I just remember like, oof, limited release could be a pain in the ass, like trying to hunt these movies down. Yeah, for sure. I, that's the same way where I live now. I don't live, they'd have no limited release showings of movies. I'd have to go all the way into Raleigh to yeah. see them like that. Like, it's not worth me, like, you know, going through the kind of crazy traffic, fighting traffic, trying to find parking in this, like, you know, crazy ass city just to see, you know. Yeah, well, we have, we have an art house cinema, like, about a mile away from us, maybe two miles. But they, the, the theater is so small that I might as well just wait till it's at home. That's what our, our house cinemas are now is like these little tiny boxes with like 20 seats and it's always very artistic, not independent, artistic movies. And I'm just like, yeah, I if I want to see it, I'll just wait till video. I have a projector. Why? Why wait? <laughs> or why go? Yeah. One cool thing about when I lived in Portland is there's like no shortage of like really cool theaters that, no, that yeah. show both, both limited release and or art house films. Yeah. Or revival houses too. That, that was great. Right. Yeah, there, there's one point I never went to called uh, Living Room Theater, which is supposed to be a really cool place. So. I heard, yeah, yeah. We have one kind of like that, but it's not as casual. Um, well, you went to it, you know, the the Cinescape or whatever. Cin- oh, Cinescape. Cinnabar? Cinnabar. 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 Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that, that, that was definitely a really, a really cool theater. I said, if, you know, I have to get back to Salem, I definitely want to go, go, re- go revisit that. Uh, yeah, we'll theater. go see the second Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or not the second Avengers, the second half of that Avengers movie. Uh, other big movies yeah. in 96, um, Nutty Professor, Eddie Murphy's big comeback. I mean, the previous year, he was a joke on SNL. David Spades, you know, was making jokes that his career was over. And uh, but lo and behold, he trusted his instincts and he went with Nutty Professor and uh, huge. Just And that carried him for, what, five or six years. Pretty much, yeah. He went with the, uh, the, the you know, like the uh, the coming to America formula, where he like kind of does, does all these different characters, mm-hmm. you know. But he kind of did away with that after like coming to America. He started doing Boomerang. And started right. Like, he started to be more serious. Started to become like, yeah, like the you know, like you know, I'm the uh, super sexy cool guy. You know what I mean? And yeah. Instead of the lovable goofball that we all grew up with on SNL. 
The problem is, is this will kind of drown his last half. Is it was all kids movies almost. Yeah. Then he started doing like uh, with Doctor Doolittle. Daddy like Daycare. That. Fuck. That's some low-hanging fruit yeah. right there, man. Yeah, man. I, I like I would, if I were him, I would never go below PG. You know, you know, he shouldn't be. In my opinion, he should never have gone below PG thirteen. But uh, yeah, because I mean, he's known for like you know, kind of like you know, R R rated comedies. You know, uh, Forty Eight Hours, Bill Cop, etc. Yeah. And well, you remember after this, start, right after Nutty Professors, when he did Metro, and I know people love it, but if you watch it, it's a real hollow movie. I I couldn't even bring myself. Based upon the trailer alone, I'm like, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be a hard pass for me. Um, for some reason, Hollywood made Nicolas Cage an action star with The Rock, which is so strange because if you look at the trajectory of his career in the 90s, he was always kind of in lighter comedies, some romantic stuff, and then uh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, now he's our new big action star. You're like, what? And then that's basically all he is now. Yeah, see, I'm so good. See, once an actor's typecast or something. I'm, I'm probably as guilty as the next person. Like, if I can't visualize him as an action star, I won't won't give him time of the day. Like, I never went I never went and saw The Rock and Nicholas Cage an action star. Give me a break. No, thank you. you know? <laughs> Which I shouldn't have been that way. I heard it was decent. I never saw it. It's okay. It's one of the few good Michael Bay movies, but it's like a lot of his stuff where it's really excessive at the end. Where like you could have stopped this five minutes ago and it'd been a great ending. Now you're just filling it and filling it. Like, please end this movie. Well, we blew up all this stuff. I gotta make, I gotta make it count. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Did the same thing with Con Air the next year. It's like, end this, please. That's another one I, I couldn't bring myself yeah. to see. Con Air. The um, uh, Cable Guy, which became notorious for, hey, is Jim Carrey worth twenty million dollars? Uh, I guess not. Yeah, I liked Cable Guy. I love I saw it. Saw that in the theater. Love it. it's my and favorite I, movie. I, 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 I thought it was great. You know, I, I, I like dark comedies. Like, I didn't want to see another Ace Ventura. I mean, like, I'd seen it, and it was cool. I liked it. But, like, I, I liked the whole concept of uh, Game of Guy, and I thought, I thought it was great. It yeah, was, darker it humor. It's just, I think people were expecting more Ace Ventura, the mask kind of stuff. And this was real. This, I think originally it was R-rated, and they had to do some trimming to it. But it's there's a sadness in this movie and a darkness that he never approached before. And I think that's why the movie has gained such a cult following is because it was worth that $20 million because I don't think any other actor could have got it made. I heard that um, Chris Farley was attached for a while, but he had to back out. You know what? I, would, I, I don't think he would have done, done a terrible job. I could, I could see him doing a, you know, a kind, of, kind of a dark character. I could definitely see him being a cable guy, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just his whole look for sure. And um, let's see what else we have. Uh, Birdcage. Huge movie, especially for, like, um, uh, you know, gay rights. Kind of like, you know, yes, some people complain because now in retrospect Nathan Lane is a cartoon character. But I thought it was yeah, important. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But it's a mainstream movie. It's one of the first mainstream movies, I think, ever to have the main cast members be gay and that they weren't the complete butt of the joke. Like, you really felt for them uh, through the movie. Right. No, I think there's some people who still think they were lampooning gay people, which I, I mean, I, I didn't get that vibe, but you know, but yeah, no, for 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 sure, that was like you know, like the the, the driving character. Whereas the driving uh, characters are a gay couple, whereas like before, they would be like a gay character would be a comic relief in the movie. You know what I mean? Right. It would be like the. And of course, I grew up in Indiana, where homophobia was absolutely to the hilt, and in a small town in Indiana. 
So, I mean, hey, hometown of Mike Pence. Um, yeah. I remember sitting there. I mean, it's there. that way in big cities, too, though. You know, for that matter. It's like big, 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 big cities like Boston has a good deal of homophobia. Yeah, parts, it's true. Parts so I went with my two friends, and my friend Ron is more progressive, more artistic, uh, sensitive, and he have he had no problem with this whatsoever. He's the one who kind of got us into it. He loved Robin Williams, and he had a hoot of a time. And then my friend Dave, who comes from a very Catholic family, very repressed, very homophobic, whatever, either he didn't know what the movie was about, or I don't know, but he was laughing his ass off too. But mm-hmm. when we were talking about it at work the next day with some coworkers, he was just like, nah, I didn't really like the movie. I didn't realize what it was going to be. I was like, what the fuck? You were laughing your ass off. And then it realized it was a defense mechanism because, you know, oh, if he likes Birdcage, then he must be gay. That's the That was the thinking yeah. in Indiana. It's ridiculous. There's people like that, too. Like, if you like an Elton John song, then he must be gay. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> he's not He's not saying about, he's not saying about being gay. It's just a gay guy who's singing a song. It's just, it's embarrassing, but... I know for years they tried to do a sequel, and I think it was just—I mean, they can't now. But it's just—it was fine the way it was. You don't have to sequelize everything, people. Yeah, this—it's—you know—they're they're revisiting and reimagining and of all these films. Now, now it's—it's—that's no longer that's the that's like becoming repetitive. You know what yeah. I mean? That the art in itself is becoming odd now. They're doing Godzilla again. They're—they're—they're they're, they're reimagining films that they just reimagined like a year ago. Oh Instead yeah, totally. Of, you know, well, it kind of like worked the out the way, like, Suicide down. Squad is getting a reboot already. I'm like, what? That doesn't, huh? That was three years ago. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It, re- it really is. Yeah. I mean, I understand there's money to be made, but. It's excessive now. Yeah, um, sure. Fargo, one of the big independent hits in 96. Because, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, I think, what did we have that year? We had, um, what's that dancing movie? Was that 96? The ones uh, where the British guys, Irish guys take off their clothes? Full Monty. Oh. No, that was 97. Yeah. That was 97. But I feel like 96, 97 is a really big year for independent films where, you know, like voices from all over the world can come and bring these unique visions. Now, yes, the Coen brothers were already established, but they had a couple flops before this. And and Fargo really became like everybody talked about this little movie. Yeah, back then, word of mouth really would really could make or break a movie for sure and that, that's one of the that's one of those uh movies that had a lot of traction like as far as like like word of mouth goes like a lot of yeah. people talking about that I, I, today yeah, it I, would I, show up on netflix you know it wouldn't be in theaters yeah it's really weird what like it, it, i don't you know i look i'm no you know I'm, I'm no critic mind you but it's weird what makes the netflix and what doesn't like i just saw a movie last night called like triple frontier or something yeah like that. that looked like it was, it was gonna be a big it, studio film when i heard about it and i was like what netflix it, I mean, it was decent. It wasn't bad. It had like it had really had a pretty good cast, you know. Uh, uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, Ben Affleck, uh, Charlie Huntsman. Um, can't remember the, the, the other guy. Here, like, Headland like, uh, was in it. Um, pa- Pedro Pascal, I think that's oh, the five. Pa- Pedro Pascal, yeah, yeah. from like from So all these guys yeah, are in so theatrical it, releases. Some of them from recent hot releases. So it was just kind of strange to see that on Netflix, but that would never happen in '96. You know, if a major studio didn't pick it up, a smaller company would have picked it up and milked it for all it's worth. And so it's it's weird what comes out now on Netflix when you're like, last like five years ago, this would have been a theatrical hit. Yeah, and the budgets are almost identical. The budget they put into a Netflix film is, I don't know, I got it has to be on par with some of the budgets I've seen for like, you know, uh, for, for like theatrical releases. Oh, you know, totally. I, I yeah. Seen, well, I Bright, think, I think Bright cost ninety million dollars if I remember correctly. 
Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Well, I mean, they don't have to pay to advertise as much anymore. See, I'm, I'm discovering that a lot of these movies, like, oh, hey, Bloomhouse puts out a $5 million movie, made a massive profit. No, they didn't because the studio spent $40 million on uh, promotion. I'm like, what? They didn't do that back in the day, but now they have, they don't have five networks, you know, to spread it across. Sure. Now they have like 400 different places they got to spread it across, and it costs them a fortune. That's true, yeah. You, you have, uh, you have all these. All these other options is the stream, distribute, whereas, you know, back in the day. You yeah. Like, well, that and... Um, you had direct-to-video or, or theater. Word of mouth just doesn't work the same way anymore. There's too much content for everybody to talk about. So that's why Fargo is, like, one of those last... I think the last really big word of mouth movie was My Big Fat Greek Wedding, but after that, it was just kind of done. Well, I think now it has to be, like, something viral. It has to be, you know, on social media, people have to talk about it. It has right. to be, like... A challenge or a gimmick attached to it. For well, even, well, even that so doesn't actually, work. Like Snakes on a Plane. Everybody was talking about Snakes on a Plane. They thought it was going to open at $40 million and open to like at 11 Yeah, I, I thought that was... <laughs> I mean, it's a stupid that, movie. You know? It's not a good movie in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Not even like a good, bad. It's just dull. <laughs> um, it's like it's just combining too many too many dangerous premises together. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, uh, Scream changed horror for a very long time. In fact, horror was dead as a doornail. And uh, you're not a horror guy, though, right? Um, I, I I'm not a slash, I'm not a slasher guy. See, yeah. horror is a weird thing because like a lot of things are looped, looped in it. I'm more of the Stephen King supernatural thriller. Okay, sometimes gotcha. there's horror elements to it. Um, I'd rather have the I'd rather have the uh, the neck on the back of my hair. Uh, I'm sorry, hair on the back of my neck stand up versus like being going through oh covering my face. Right, Scream but, was the mainstream entry for a lot of teenagers, and I just remember like. This is different. This is a whole new voice, but at the same time, it did feel pandering to the mainstream. It's like all these cute-looking kids, you know, very safe scares. I thought it was amazing back then, but I look back now and go, "Oh fuck!" It ruined horror movies for a long time because <clears throat> that's all it was was that poster. You remember the poster where everybody's lined up in a triangle with a villain above it, and it's always like he's on the WB, he's on Fox, he's on CW, you know, UPN or whatever. All these, you know, uh, TGI Friday. And that went on for like six years. It was a, it was just a bad, bad move in the horror genre. Well, it was kind of a neat concept at first. Like they were kind of spoofing in, in a yeah. way. It was a, it was a little tongue, tongue in cheek. They're spoofing like the uh, horror movie stereotypes. Yeah, a little meta. And uh, yeah, and, and then and then it became almost like self parody as as the movies went on. You know. Yeah, it's just uh, it's something that I was like, oh, this, this is so great, and then you look back, like these don't hold up at all. Yeah, the, um, that's that's one of the ones that that, that I, I have no I have no desire to, to revisit. Yeah, I would I, I would revisit. I don't think I've even I've only seen like the, the key points to like scream. I don't think I've ever seen it from day to end, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um all right. So over in T V we have the debuts of Third Rock from the Sun, John Lithgow's first T V show. And uh not he, he's not a cinematic guy, but it felt like he was just like in so many movies and when he popped up on T V I was like, Oh, I guess his career's over then, huh? That was back then when that's kind of what you did. Yeah. I mean, if you kind of, that, that, that's where you want to die back then. So if you're like a cinematic star, you know, what you're doing TV, oh, okay, he's winding down. It's going to be it for him. You know, he's, he, he's just trying to stay relevant and keep working, you know. And, and, and I honestly didn't think the show was going to last that long. And then I watched the first episode. I was like, oh, yeah, this, this could work. It was from the guys that did uh, Third Rock, or not Third Rock, oh, sorry, um, uh, that 70s show. You feel a lot of the same energy in both of those shows. Yeah, totally. Kind of, kind of, kind of has a similar vibe for sure. 
uh, co-created by the guys who created Wayne's World with Mike Myers, and um, gave us uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Who knew that he was going to be such a great... Because you know, most child actors fall apart, and uh, he's held up very well. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's done well for himself, <laughs> you know. Like to say, yeah, he's uh, he, he's definitely uh, gone done well uh, beyond the show. I'm trying to think of the other characters, um, French, French Stewart, yeah, and I can't remember what happened yeah. to that girl. She seemed to disappear. I think she was like a villain in an Austin Powers movie or something, mm, and maybe or, or maybe not, but that's the last I. I yeah. Um. Uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, slow start. Uh, first two seasons were not popular, but they were critically acclaimed. I caught it one summer when I was working at a gas station, the slowest gas station in history, where they let me have a TV. And I watched Everybody Loves Raymond like a mofo because they showed it every single night. And all of a sudden, it became a phenomenon by 98. Yeah, you know, once the... Uh, it's weird, with sitcoms, like, you really have to, like... It has to, like, breathe for a little while. So you have to be established with the characters. And once once you familiar with the characters, you, you can laugh at the way the way they interplay together. You can laugh at their like their their, their, their comically dis- dysfunctionality. You know, yeah. That's like a lot, that's like when I when I introduced like uh, I remember I introduced young ones to my roommate at the time when I was living in Mississippi, and he didn't get it until he understood how how you know the the, char- the characters and how they interplay with each other. Then he loved it. Then he like maybe that's why I haven't got into it. I watched like two or three episodes, and I was like, this doesn't seem that revolutionary. But of course, I'm seeing it through the prism of time, where we right. have so much subversive television, but I bet you when it debuted, everybody was like, oh my God, this is insane. People are actually doing this. And there's been shows that have been similar to it and then have like outlandish, like, you know, like Always Sunny is kind of like a new version of The Young Ones, but so outlandish. And, yeah. Um, uh, back when I showed it to my, my roommate, he had never seen anything like that before. So at first he's like, what the fuck is this? And after a while he was like, oh, I get it. Okay, okay. There, he's, he's this kind of crazy. He's that kind of crazy. And after a while, he was like, "Yeah, he wanted, he wanted to see all of it." He's like, "Yeah, let, yo, let me borrow one of those tapes." He's like, "I thought you thought it was, I thought you thought it was ridiculous." Like, well, I still do, but now I want to see what's going to happen next. You know? <laughs> um, Spin City, Michael J. Fox's big return to television. Uh, first four seasons are phenomenal. I absolutely love it. The minute Charlie Sheen stepped in, I was like, "Oh, ew, no!" It's like it got real sleazy real fast. Yeah, what 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 is it with him that kind of sour, just sours the whole production? It's been a great season. It's just it was so much fun when Michael J. Fox was on it, and it was a parody of Bill Clinton's relationship with George Stephanopoulos, and the whole energy changed the minute he was gone. And of course, he left for the right reasons. He was very ill. He's still very ill. I mean, Parkinson's hasn't been cured, yeah. but it became like almost impossible to do this show. And uh, that's back, that's back in the day where you could do like with him, his show and Murphy Brown, you could do political satire and it'd still be fun. Yeah. You know, it'd still be lighthearted. I don't think you can do that now. No, now it's so heavy. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, but it's also harsher time. So it's, it's weird. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a show that not a lot of people talk about anymore. And I think, I think it was a lot of fun. No, totally. For sure. And, and me, me being like, uh, not, not even knowing much about politics, you know, it was, it was still entertaining for someone who wasn't politically savvy, you know? Yeah. The uh, holy grail of stand-up comedy, in my opinion, it debuted this year, and it was Pulp Comics. So hard to find those episodes, and I got to tell you, it changed the medium. It was a whole new angle in, in the direction of Comedy Central. Yeah, the, Tommy, Tommy Central was, was doing some, uh, some some fun stuff back then. Um, they were delving into some other kind of uh, stand-up comedy stuff. I can't remember the name of this. God, it was a Canadian troupe that was on there. Um, shit. 
And uh, but that that was really one of them. Yeah, they, they did some they had some like you know they started doing some really good guest comedy, some good stand up comedy specials. Because it was like you know I don't know what it was like in your town, but like there's not a lot of stand up comedy. Either. That was the only way I could see. It. Oh yeah, we had one comedy club. It was called Snickers, and it was run by this guy who ran a almost a public access level show on Sunday nights. And his jokes were always tired and old. I went, I went to a couple live recordings, and I was just like, "This is bullshit." Because by then, the alternative comedy scene is what I was into, and that's what pulp comics was. You remember Comedy Central yeah. before was just like random grab bag of clips from other shows. Yeah. They would just was, license just, yeah, exactly, but it, it had no voice. Yeah, it didn't have a voice. Yeah. With pulp comics was like, let's grab the hippest, coolest comedians with a new voice. Mm. And give them a half hour and then wrap their stuff around in these little vignettes. And I was like, this, this is where it's at. This is what I like. Totally. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, back then, before that, it was just like, it was pretty much like a mod, like a basically like a YouTube comedy compilation. Basically. Right. Yeah, you didn't have anybody curating a list of like the best new guys. Maybe with the exception of like, I did like enjoy short attention span theater where they would have like two kind of hosts. Yeah. What was the other one? Uh, stand up, stand up. I remember that one was popular. But yeah, pulp comics is a different direction. And then they got rid of it for some dumbass reason and then introduced the A list. Do you remember the A list? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, let's That's... get a name like Tommy Davidson or Harlan Williams up there and then they'll just introduce three comedians. And it was okay, but it just wasn't the same. I think and then after that, like a premium blend was maybe not not long after that. Oh right, yeah, I forgot that was that's what took over. Yeah, premium blend was a big thing for a while too. Yeah. VH1 uh, introduces pop up video. Now that means nothing to any whippersnappers out there right now, but pop up video was a revolution. It was so much fun. It was so big for a while that they even did it on uh, a Drew Carey show. Yeah, it was fun because like if you're like like a trivia nerd, like I like I I sort of was. I'm just I'm a, I'm a big fan of useless not useless information. Yes. It was, it was what what it was, what can I know good. that won't give me a job? <laughs> exactly. What a piece of useless information can I cram in my cram in my brain, which will push out something that's meaningful all the way out. You know, <laughs> algebra. Who needs that? Fuck that. I need to know what the first name of the guy is uh, from Kajagugu and what he's doing now. <laughs> exactly. Fucking Kajagugu. Every time I watch one of those, where are they now on VH1? There's always a sequence where they grab the lead singer of a one-hit wonder band, have him sit in his backyard, and his dog's like wandering around or whatever while he plays his song acoustically. Yeah, kind of like yeah, trying trying try to like like relive the glory is like yeah. his Al Bundy version of the documentary. But it's sad because he's all paunchy. He's got four hairs left on his head. He's got shades on. He's like Jenny, Jenny, who can I turn to? And that was that one. If I was ever. <laughs> If I wasn't ever an ex-pop star, I would do everything in my power not to become fat because that's like everybody expects you to become fat. Yeah. But, now, if you go bald, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, well, Flock of Seagulls, I think, went bald and fat, and he's trying to still do that swoop but with like you know half the hair. It's like, oof, stop yeah. it. Like, the least you can do is not become fat. You can't do anything about, about, about your, you know, your hair. It's genetics. It's right. Yeah. But you know, just don't let yourself get fat. <sighs> Um, over on E! True Hollywood Story, we got to hear the horror tales of careers gone awry. Oh, yeah, that that, that was definitely a big deal with the, um, what was it called, the, uh, Behind the Music was, was another big one around that time. Too. Yeah, that's what I was trying to remember what the hell the other one was, because I couldn't remember which one Leaf Garrett was on. I think it was on, uh, um, what did you just call it again? Behind the Music? Behind the Music. I'm pretty sure Leaf Garrett was in the Behind the Music one where he found out about the guy that he crippled in his car accident. You're like, oh, fuck, this is ground zero for the worst thing ever. 
that was that I remember that one. That was fucking heavy because he's crying next to the guy who he crippled because of his heroin problem. Yeah, just fucking nuts. And I think after that is when they're like, I think we went too far, and the show kind of teetered off. Each Hollywood story. The only one I ever remember is the one about Ginger Lynn Allen, and she's talking about how she goes, "Look, I'm paid to have sex. I'm a whore. I'm not a slut." And I'm like, "What? That's <laughs> the argument you're gonna make?" Yeah, <laughs> I was like, is that, "Is that better or worse?" I don't know. Yeah. You know. But I was like, and they always parodied it on SNL. They're always these great Each Hollywood Story parodies. Yeah, they're almost they're almost designed for mockumentary. For yeah. sure, because. Because yeah, that, that that was they were, those were like water cooler shows. You know what I mean? Totally. Like the next day, did you see that show? Oh my god! Yeah, totally. That that was like on par with Seinfeld. That's like something we talked about too. Came out. Yeah. So, All right. Over in our last segment of video games, we have the N sixty four debuting with the dumbest launch I've ever seen for a video game console, and I can't believe it was successful. Two games, two fucking games. What kind of dumbass shit is that? Star Fox sixty four. And Pilot Wing 64. No one remembers Pilot Wings. It's just so ridiculous to me. Yeah, I only remember Star Fox. That's all it's all, you know. So, my yeah. roommate, oh, they're, they're my roommate, still, I had a roommate making... who was super rich, and he got it the first day, and he had the two games, and then he realized halfway through the first half, you know, like, oh, Pilot Wings sucks. And now I just have Star Fox 64, which he played all the time until another game came out. And at that time, I think games were coming out like two a month. And it was just. Yeah. Such a, you buy a console when there's a lot of selections, please just wait. Yeah, I remember like when PlayStation first came out, there was like there was like a handful, maybe like five or ten games, and one of them was like this fireworks game or something ridiculous. Where like you just I don't know, you made you like watch fireworks go off or you had to make them or you grade I don't know. I'm not really sure because I never owned it. Yeah, that's it, weird. There I was like that. but it was such a limited catalog in the same way with N64. The catalog was so I always limited. wait. I yeah. always wait until yeah. the prices come down. There's tons of selection. So I get the exact games and, I want. And, and and all the bugs are worked out. Yeah. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Oh, another update. Another really? update. <laughs> yep. The uh, debut of Tomb Raider. I, this is the era of video games that just sucks to me. I know that they're groundbreaking, but then they look like fucking garbage. N64 looks like shit. Um, I think the only system that holds up to this day is probably Saturn because they focused less on 3D polygon stuff and more like just higher level uh, 2D games. Yeah, you don't realize how bad now that with all the re-release of these retro systems with, with like the plug and play technology, now you can say, oh, they, it really was crappy. And I mean, even though back then you kind of knew a little bit because you know it didn't look like when you're like, say you have a movie, ba- you have a game based on the movie. It doesn't look like the movie. It's no, no. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not like you're watching the sports game. You're playing like a version of something you see on TV. You kind of knew, but like you're just kind of like, oh, this is, this is the best we have right now. So it's mind-blowing. But now when you see it, it's like, oh, my God, this is dog shit. Yeah. Uh, over in 2D games, we have my favorite game of all time, debuting in the arcades, which was Metal Slug. That was a tank game, right? Yeah, that's the one that's like really cartoonish but insanely violent, and it's just nonstop action. It's one of those where you pump, you realize you've pumped all your quarters into one game. Thankfully, they're on home consoles with unlimited continues, and you can play it all the way through. Honestly, the games aren't that long, but they're so inventive. The, the colors, the character designs are the absolute best, in my opinion. And it was never really that big in America. It was just huge internationally, I mean, and it just had a cult following because it was on a weird console. No one had the uh, the Neo – was it Neo Geo? Yeah, the Neo Geo. Neo, Neo Geo. I was just about to ask. Was that a Neo Geo game? Because I remember playing it in the arcade, 
and not and being terrible at it, so I didn't play it again because yeah. I don't want to waste all my quarters. You don't want to waste on your quarters with something you like doing last. No, it was time. one of those one hit yeah. you're dead. That's the problem. One hit yeah. you're done. You gotta oh okay, I got two more. Oh my two legs are over with shit. <laughs> totally, yeah. But like, but like, I mean, it, it looks cool. But like, it's like, so I, much. I, fun. I only have so much money. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I think you can get it like free as like a you know like some websites just have it as a computer free play, and. uh they're, they're fun to check out. They released a big pack of uh, those Neo Geo games, which are notoriously expensive. Um, just yeah. recently on a, on an old console, whatever. You know, you've seen those little ones. You show me a picture of it. The, the handheld arcades. They look like a little miniature yeah. arcade uh, game. Whatever mm-hmm. you hold in your hand. And well, they have one of those, but with Neo Geo games loaded into it. And I think they have all of the Metal I, Slug I, games. I, I've seen I've seen it on Amazon where they have like the. Um... Or the the uh, final fighters or whatever or king yeah, of fighters king of, like king of fighters yeah yeah they, they have they have those preloaded on like a little micro uh, like a little hand like tabletop little uh, console but it's like two hundred bucks yeah it just seems so strange to me that you have to hook a cord from that into the TV and then a cord from that console uh, to a controller so it's like the tiniest mm-hmm. console ever but it looks like you're supposed to play it I, I think you actually are supposed to play it like it has a little screen in it. Yeah, so you can what I, you can either play it on uh, I think the, the little micro screen it, itself, or yeah. I think there's a way you can plug it into your TV and then just use the can use a joystick but just watch the I TV. Can, like yeah, it. I can't imagine playing those games on a screen smaller than my cell phone. I just can't. It looks like it, oh, I, I'm blind now. I've lost all vision because my eyes are so tense. Well, if you're gonna do it, not pay that much for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Neo Geo. Yeah, all those games are notoriously expensive. Back then, that, that system cost you like seven hundred dollars. Yeah, you'd hear a rumor like, oh, I can maybe buy a cabinet, you yeah. know, like a full arcade cabinet, like like thirty thousand dollars, something crazy. Yeah. You know. The last thing I want to say is, uh, two fads that confuse me to no end are Furby and Tamagotchi. And I had a child come up to me the other day and ask me if we carried Tamagotchis, and I was like, what kind of fucking time tunnel did I just go through? Is this still twenty nineteen? <laughs> Yeah, totally. Like, what's what's uh, what's old is new. It's like it's pretty weird. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them in stores. So the the virtual virtual pets. Yep. I remember my friend Devon had one. He was just like on it all the time, and then he's like, "Oh God, my dog died," and I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "My dog died," and he showed me the little the Tamagotchi, and I go, "Oh, shut up, shut the fuck up. That's a video game." <laughs> Not real, man. <laughs> God, but he was so upset. I was like, "Your dog really died?" And he's like, "Well, see, look." And I was like, "You fucking asshole." <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like the beginning of like kind of like the the, the new wave of Japanese infatuation. Yeah, where like you know the beginning of like uh, Power Rangers and Pokemon. And yeah. Before they kind of broke big, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It got huge, but that's when it that's when it first it just started. You know? Yeah, because we we had the robots, but I feel like you know a lot of that got molded into it for an American audience. None of the stuff in the yeah. '90s was molded for an American audience. It was just like here, here you go. This is the way it is in Japan too. Enjoy. Yeah. No, totally. It was like, before it was like Japanese influence, this is like a direct Japanese import. You know? Yeah. Ugh, I'm yawning. It's time for me to go get lunch. I know, it's weird. I had breakfast and lunch almost <laughs> stacked on top of each other. So everybody, I gotta go. Um, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. And Tony, thank you for another great episode. Three more to go! Wait, hold on. 96, yeah. 97, 98, 98. No. Yeah, so three more to go. Oh, cool. All right, everybody. Have a good night.